Adults, how are you today? I use that term loosely because uh, we get to grow up, but we could still stay children at heart. Amen. In fact, Jesus said, unless you enter as a little child, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Amen. Anybody still have a childlike faith? Amen. So we get to have childlike faith, but we don't get to remain childish. That'll preach right there. Amen. All right. That was free of charge. Let's get to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We've been in Ephesians 5 and 6 for a long time. Last time I was with you, we kind of went through the topics we covered in this blueprint for Christian conduct. This is, by God's grace, if we make it through today, the last installment. We're going to finish up with part two on prayer. Paul chooses to uh, finish out the chapter here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by talking about prayer. Some of this is subtle, but there's powerful implications about our prayer life and what we need to do to conduct ourselves in a wise way. We need to be praying, amen. It's not a, it's not a hard sell to say that every Christian should be praying. And so this is partly a no-brainer and partly preaching to the choir, but there's a lot of gems in here. So I'm going to read verse 18 through 20 to you in just a minute, but just let's thank God for the word first. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for uh, this blueprint for Christian conduct that you've given us through the Apostle Paul. We pray that these messages have provoked us to godliness and that where necessary, we've made adjustments in our walk and the way we spend our time and the way we conduct ourselves. God, our conduct matters because we call ourselves Christians and people are looking at us and deciding what they think about Jesus. So help us, God, to conduct ourselves in a way that reflects the goodness of who you are. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance. And every request for all the saints. Say all the saints. And pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So here the Apostle Paul, in closing out this chapter, really what's left in the chapter is just some salutations and uh, some uh, things that he's doing and moving people around to help them to secure their faith. But this is the last portion here where there's meat. And as we look at it today, it's all about prayer. And it's no accident that Christian conduct is being bookended here and closed with prayer because prayer is very important to our Christian growth, amen? If you're a Christian and you're not praying, you know, you're doing it wrong because we need to be talking to God. In fact, last week when we looked at verse 18, it said, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be alert with all perseverance. We learn that we should be praying at all times. In other portions of Scripture, the Apostle Paul says to pray without ceasing. We learn that praying at all times means having an open dialogue with God throughout the day. Prayer has to be more than, you know, good morning, Lord, when we get up and our little prayer at the end of the day as we kneel at the bed, Lord, bless this one and that one and this one. We are to have an open, ongoing dialogue with God all day long. We talked about the illustration, if you were on a long trip in a car with Jesus, you would talk to him, right? 
Amen. And you would converse with him. Why? Because you, you have this opportunity to get to know him. And that's what we're being told to do. Pray at all times. Then we were told to pray in the spirit in verse 18. And we said that had two components, praying the will of God and praying with the gift of speaking in tongues. Paul is encouraging us to do both. Praying in the spirit ensures that we pray what's on God's heart and not our own agenda. We'd use the illustration of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and, and preach a, a message of repentance to them. So he went the other way and he ran away from God's will. Now, Jonah could have prayed all day long that God would destroy the Ninevites, but God wanted them to find a place of repentance. When we're praying against what God's trying to do, and that's counterproductive to our prayer lives, amen? You know, if we're praying for God to bless something that he's trying to tear down or for God to open a door that he's trying to close. So many times we let people back into our lives that God has allowed us to get away from. Someone say amen. amen. Don't let things back in your life that God has delivered you from. Even if they're a person, don't look at your wife or your husband right now. Just look straight ahead. Pray at all times. Pray in the spirit. Pray with discernment and tenacity. There's two times to pray when you feel like it and when you don't. There are many times we don't feel like praying. Can we just be honest on Sunday morning? Now, I know we're all trying to look holy here this morning, but you pray for something, and instead of getting what you prayed for, it goes the other way. You pray for a person who's sick to live, and they die. You pray for righteousness to prevail, and wickedness prevails. Come on, anybody. And then you say, well, you know, I prayed and I invested all this time. It didn't go my way. I don't feel like praying now. There's two times to pray, when you feel like it and when you don't. God knows how to answer our prayers. God knows when the timing is right. But we need to know that he hears us and that he's asked us to pray without ceasing. So we do it whether we feel like it or not. We pick up with our new material here in the latter half of verse 18. It says, and every request for all the saints and pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Then in verse 20, Paul says, I am an ambassador in chains. Realize as he's writing this, he's under house arrest. He's chained up. He's being led from one leader to another. He has a Roman uh, guard around him. Centurions are leading him around. He is actually under arrest as he writes most of the epistles in the New Testament. An ambassador in chains. We are supposed to pray. We know that. In these three verses, God shows us four groups of people we should be praying for. The first is this. We should be praying for others. If you take a notes this morning, write it down, others. If all we do when we pray is we pray for ourselves, we're not doing it right. Yet if we're honest, there are times where we, we get to the place of prayer and it's all about me and mine and I need this and, and, and help me with that. And Lord, I got this issue and I got that bill and I got sickness here and, and this situation. And then when we're done, we just come out of the place of prayer. We don't even wait for God to answer we just be real today. Sometimes we get in that, you know, our sister talked about a rut today. That's a rut in prayer, amen, when it's this monologue just about me and my needs, and, and there's no interaction or communion or connection, and there's no God speaking back to us because we're so busy and we're cons so consumed with ourselves that we forget to listen. 
If we're not praying for others, we're not praying correctly. A mature Christian's prayer life will touch heaven and it will produce fruit, but it's got to be more than a bless me in my prayer. It's got to include others. Paul tells us in the text here to pray for all the saints. I don't know if you caught that when I read it, but that's a big job. All the saints? I did a little research. In 2017, I found this statistic that the world population was 7.5 billion people, and 2.4 billion of them identified themselves as Christian. So when, I mean, even if we give them the benefit of the doubt, okay, 2.4 billion Christians, and Paul says to pray for all the saints, how many realize if you take that literally, you're going to be late for work? If we try and split that up today, even like, all right, let's get this covered. Let's do it systematically. Donna, you get the first 500 million. Start with them Chinese people. There's a bunch of them there. Is it even possible to pray for all the saints? And you think, well, how in the world would you pray you know, for all the saints, 2.4 billion of them, people we don't even know. The way that we can practically pray for all the saints is this, the same way you eat an elephant one bite at a time. But God expects us to pray for our brothers and sisters. He expects us to pray for the body of Christ. Now, it, it might seem like an elephant, and it might seem like a big job, but I think if we look at Acts 1.8, we get some wisdom on how we're to break it down. In Acts 1.8, it says this, but you shall receive power after that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. Come on, does that sound good? Any Pentecostals in here? You shall receive power. Power for what? Power to do the things of God. Power to pray. Power to do exploits. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. Okay, so we get it. Holy Ghost power coming upon us to do the things of God. And you shall be my witnesses. Now listen to this. Uh, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1.8 breaks down the evangelical effort that we must reach people into concentric circles. It's Jerusalem. That's where they live. Then in Judea, there's another circle. Then in Jerusalem, then in Samaria, it gets broader. And then the uttermost parts of the earth. That's exactly the way we should approach praying for all the saints. What's your Jerusalem? Well, your Jerusalem are the believers in your household. You know, and if you're the only one in your household, then you even got more prayer to do. But, you know, you need to pray for your spouse. You need to pray for your children. You need to pray for your family, amen? That's our Jerusalem. God help us if we're sending out missionaries and we're reaching the lost. And we got Charles out there right now. And, and God knows what he's doing for Jesus. But, you know, he's turning things upside down. God help us if we're reaching the, the world, but our household is lost. What good does it do to save the whole world and lose your family? So we need to be praying for our, our families. We need to be praying. That's our Jerusalem. Then we broaden the circle a little bit. We pray for the people in our congregation where we worship. You're part of the, the full gospel center. This is your church family. Look around, smile at one another a little bit. You look way too serious out there. Hey, family. You need to be praying for each other, amen? Let me ask you something. Do you know people in Southeast Asia better than you know the people who go to church with you? I hope the answer is no. Yeah, well, we just come in, we sing a few songs, and we run right out. We make sure we don't talk to anybody. 
No, you know each other. You, you, you talk with each other. You have relationships here. We had men's prayer on Saturday. We, you know, we got 30-plus guys together, and we were praying here. Some of you guys I didn't see yet, please start to attend that. It's a powerful time. We went out afterwards, had breakfast together, and just getting to know each other. What does that do? That knits you together with your church family, amen? And then you begin to share with one another. You know what your brother or your sister's going through. Pray for one another. Let's broaden the circle a little bit more. Our Samaria, what's our Samaria? Our city, our state, this nation, Dutchess County. Our first job is to win people, to win souls in Dutchess County. That's our first job. Missions is important. Praying for the nation is important. What goes on in our government is important. But if we're not winning people in our neighborhoods, oh, pastor, I'd rather send money to Africa. Please, don't make me talk to my neighbor. I get it, right? It's like we live in gated communities. You should see where I live. In, I live in, in Dover on a dirt road, and people have gates in front of their house. What, what is this? Is Thurston Howe III live there? Who, who? They don't want to wave to each other. They don't want to say hi. We got to reach the people in our communities. Now I realize this is a tough sell here this morning, and it was quiet in first service, so I, I get it, but... Uh, our responsibility is in our home. It's in our congregation. It's to pray for our community, our state, our nation. And then uh, the uttermost parts of the earth, that's that, you know, all over the world, there's the body of Christ. And we should be praying for our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Amen. So there's how we tackle the problem. Here's three practical ways to effectively pray for others. We're to pray for all the saints. I'm going to be real practical with you here today. This is not you know, this is not going to be a big revelation or, a, you know, a, just something that's going to startle us. But if you want to pray effectively and practically for other people, number one, start by writing down a prayer list. Wow, wasn't that deep? Get a piece of paper and a pen, get a crayon, lipstick. I don't care what you write it down with. But write down some names on a piece of paper. And please, you can put my name at the top because I need a lot of prayer. Amen. If you're praying, praying for me, that's going to make Sunday morning better for you. So uh, <laughs> we got to be praying for people, amen? Write your family's names down there. Write the unsaved family members. Write down people in your name, whatever God puts on your heart, but write it down. You say, why do you got to write it down? Because we forget everything and everyone. And then we're back to just praying for ourselves. So if you want to pray effectively, start a prayer list. Put a sheet of paper in your Bible. Write names down. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, they told me to write things down in the flyleaf of my Bible. So, you know, on the first page here, you start to write things down. Who to pray for, people, missionaries. Write it down. In the Bible, yeah, write it down. You say, my Bible's too good to write in. Throw it out and get one that you could write in. This is, this is, a, this is a tool for us. And so... It's real practical, but I want every single person in here to have their own prayer list. And I'd ask you to put me on it for Kim's sake. <laughs> Nothing proves we love someone more than mentioning them in our prayers. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The greatest way to prove that I love someone, not just in saying it or, or, or feeling emotional about it, but is that I actually pray for them. 
You know, we complain about people so easily, but do we pray about them? I want to listen for the crickets. Yeah, we should do more praying than we do complaining. We should love one another. We should pray for one another. And our, our names should be on each other's lists. And so make a list. Number two, pray for everyone who asked you to pray for them. You know, people say, oh, pray for me. Or, you know, some pastor said, well, you pray for me. Or missionary, pray for me. And we say, oh, yeah, 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 we'll pray for you. And then we forget. Everyone who asks for prayer, pray for them. It's really simple. Why would you deny someone prayer? A Christian author and confidence coach, Renee Swoop, said this about prayer. Asking a friend for prayer isn't about putting a burden on them. It's about letting them walk down a path with us that we were never meant to walk down alone. Understand what prayer is. It's not a burden. Oh, great, now I gotta pray for this and I gotta pray for that and now this guy wants prayer. You know, I'm never gonna get out of the house in the morning. No, it's not a burden. It's a privilege. We partner together with each other when we're praying for one another. So pray for everyone who asks you for prayer. And, and the last one is this, the last practical way, is pray with anyone who will let you pray for them. Think about that for a second. Some people won't ask for prayer, but they'll let you pray for them. How many times have you seen a coworker going through some stuff and you thought, well, they need prayer? You know, you're at the water cooler and they're sharing something with you and they're a hot mess and you're like, wow. You know, you move away from them a little bit. They're, they're a little messed up. Do you offer to pray for them? Let me share you a super secret magical phrase known only to the highest level prayer warriors. Are you ready? Can I pray for you? You try it. Wow, you're good at it already. That's all you have to do is ask somebody, if you see they're a mess, if you see they're hurting, I mean, come on, we, people come to us all the time that they're a wreck, and we see it, and then some days we're like, oh, I don't have time for this, Lord Jesus, but we got to make time for it, and then we can listen to them, and sometimes they'll share with us. Have you ever had somebody tell you some stuff? Where, I didn't ask to hear that. <laughs> well, why do they do that? Because they sense something in you. And all you got to do is use the super secret magical phrase that you learned on Sunday morning. I'll let the secret out. Can I pray for you? And you know what? More often than not, when you pray for them, I found that when you step out like that for God, the Holy Ghost shows up and, and the Holy Spirit begins to touch them. They feel the presence of God. I've had people that have never been to church, nothing, just tears begin to come down their eyes. I've seen this one Christian pray for a lady in the supermarket in front of the door. Don't block the door, but, you know, <laughs> praying and the lady fell apart, just tears, and I'm like, I can feel the presence of God. Take a chance. Put yourself out there. Pray for anyone who will let you pray for them. Pray for everyone who asks for prayer and get yourself a prayer list. Paul said to pray for others, and it's part of our Christian duty. The second group of people we should be praying for is we should be praying for leadership. Leadership needs prayer, amen? amen. My clothes match today because they're mostly black, and that was easy for me. But leaders need prayer. Leaders are just ordinary people who are called by God to do some extraordinary things. And when I talk about praying for leadership, I'm not just talking about church leadership, although we're going to look at that specifically, but we should be 
praying for leaders. Paul says here, pray and pray in my behalf or pray on my behalf. Pray for me, Paul is saying. Now, I want to, say, I want to tell you something. Many leaders feel it's a show of weakness or even a lack of faith to ask others for prayer. Did you know that? Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you're the boss or maybe you're a leader of the prayer group or you're, you're a leader in your home and, and, and you don't want to ask for prayer. Leaders think, you know, many times, well, if I ask for prayer, it just shows that I'm weak or I don't have faith or that I don't have it all together. Imagine that. Asking others to pray, you know, when a person's a leader, they think, well, I'm supposed to have it all together. I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to have the answers. And while I'm certain there's pride involved in not asking for prayer, I find it interesting that Paul, the greatest apostle who ever lived, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who was, you know, one of the most powerful men of God doing miracles, who ever walked the face of the earth, Paul asked others to pray for him all the time. Paul asked for prayer. He asked for believers who were new converts to pray for him, people who weren't as spiritually mature as him to pray for him. Why? Because he understood the power of prayer. And he understood as a leader how much he needed the saints to pray for him. Paul was humble enough to, though he was the chiefest of apostles, and though he was just being so powerfully used to minister and reach the Gentiles, he was humble enough to ask for prayer. I want to just tell you today, I need your prayers as your pastor. I need you to pray for me. I hope you are praying for me. And I hope that, you know, together we can find the will of God for Full Gospel Center so that the Holy Spirit moves and does everything that's in the Father's heart here. But that's not going to happen without prayer. So pray on my behalf, Paul said. Pray for leadership. Listen, it's part of our role as salt and light in this dark world to pray for those who find themselves in the place of leadership. Listen to what 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3 says. First of all, then, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all people, for kings and all who are in authority. Look at that, not, not just church leadership, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. I believe part of the reason we are in such a mess as a nation is because we've stopped praying for our leaders. And we've just nitpicked and complained about them to the point where the enemy has gotten an advantage. But the Bible clearly tells us to pray for our leaders. Why? Because if we, if we don't, look what it says, so that we can lead tranquil and quiet and peaceable lives with all dignity. Does that sound good to anybody right now? Just some peace and quiet. and not, I mean, it, March is going to be a year of lockdown for us as a nation. A year. It's quiet now. And that's taken a chunk out of our church attendance. It's taken a chunk out of our, you know, our enthusiasm. A lot of us are hurting. A lot of people are depressed. Suicides are up. People are disillusioned. I mean, what has happened in a year is really incredible. And yet, how much praying are we doing for those who are in leadership? How much praying are we doing for, you know, Washington? Boy, does Washington need prayer. 
We prayed, we prayed as men here, us 30 guys that saw fit to come together and storm the gates of heaven on behalf of our nation for, to pray for our leaders. Why? Because they need it. Well, they're ungodly. Well, God can turn ungodly people into godly people. In fact, the guy who wrote this text used to murder Christians. And then God knocked him down and converted him, and he became the greatest apostle. Listen, I don't care if they're godly or ungodly, righteous or unrighteous. If they're in leadership, pray for them. Because you know what? Without godly leadership, without righteousness in leadership, we are not going to lead quiet and tranquil and peaceful lives. We're not going to have dignity. Uh, we're going to have trouble. And some of us aren't prepared for the trouble that's on the horizon. And so we better start praying. It's in our best interest to pray for church leadership. Like I said, if you pray for me, Sunday mornings will be better. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders, talking about spiritual ones, and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they may do this with joy, not groaning, for this would be unhelpful to you. What is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying you should pray for your leaders. Why? Because they're watching out for you. My job as a pastor is not to marry you and bury you and, uh, and entertain you on Sunday morning, to have three, three points and two jokes and a, and a touching story. My job is to watch for your souls. And I take it seriously. And I'm praying for you. And you say, you know, Pastor, you know, why, why do you got to get involved in this? Or why you got to get involved? Why you got to confront that? Because if I don't, you know, and you lose your soul, I'm going to be held accountable for that. Huh. Now it's serious for me. I don't want to stand before God. You know, Jesus said, I didn't lose one that you put in my hand. I don't want to stand before God and say, Rick, where's all the sheep that I, I made you responsible for? that went back into the world, that went back into adultery, that went back into drug abuse? What, did, you, did you get them? Did you chase them? Did you hunt them down? What, what did you do? Huh. Anybody want to be a pastor? God expects us to fulfill our duty to, as leaders, yet leaders have a hard job. That's why he's saying here, don't give them a hard time, basically, you know, because don't, don't make them groan because that's unhelpful to you. If, if you got leadership that's, you know, frustrated and exhausted and overburdened and actually harassed by their own people, you know, that's not good for either party. I've been in leadership a long time. I've been preaching since I'm 15. I've been, I think, 26 years full-time at this church. And you know what? I got to say, I have no complaints. Wait, that wasn't, the, that wasn't the good part. I have no complaints about the people God has given me to shepherd. You know, you, you are great people. My wife and I say it all the time. We serve a great church with beautiful people. And I got to say, over the years, you know, you haven't given me a hard time, and I appreciate that. But there's been a few. And I think, you know, what that does is when, you know, we work against each other. If you're, if you're making the guy who's watching for your soul angry at you, that's not good for you. I meet with other pastors, and they tell me what they go through in their congregations, and my eyes get really big. I'm looking at them like, I would never put up with that. But then I'm thinking, wow, they, they got some cross to carry nitpickies you know them churches full of old shriveled up prunes the frozen chosen 
But we, we, work, we have to work together, and you don't want to... You want to pray for leadership, and you want, to, you want to serve leadership, and you don't want to give leadership a hard time. If leadership has issues, then absolutely pray for them. Sometimes leaders do things that need to be confronted, absolutely. But for the most part, let's work together so that we can all make it together. Amen? Pray for church leaders, because when they're messed up or they're burnt out or they have moral failure, it hurts all of us. You know, sometimes as Christians, we don't realize... That TV, that, uh, that TV preacher we hear about that, that misused funds and now is all in the news. Well, we think, well, thank God I don't go to that church. Well, you do go to that church because we're all part of the body of Christ. Or that pastor who has moral failure and steps out on, on their marriage and, and now it's all over the news. Well, thank God that wasn't my pastor. In a way, it was. Because the world doesn't look and go, oh, that was this denomination, or that was this group, or that was the, oh, that was the Pentecostals, or that was the, no, they look and say, them Christians, there they go again. And when one falls, it hurts all of us. You say, how does it hurt all of us? Because it hurts the overall testimony of the church. And it also gives people who are outside of the church an excuse not to come to the only place where they can get saved and set free from their sin. You know, most people don't need an excuse to not come to church. So let's not give them one. Pray for leaders. When they mess up, when they burn out, when they fail, it hurts all of us. Number three, the third group we should be praying for is this, those who preach the gospel. Now, all of us are called to share the gospel. Are you sharing the gospel with your friends? Raise your hand if you are. Amen. Share the gospel with your friends. Share with your coworkers. All of us are called to share the gospel, but there are some who are specifically called to preach and to teach and to be evangelists, to be missionaries that spread the gospel in a different way as part of their, their gifting and their fivefold calling. And we should be praying for them. They need our prayers. Look what Paul says, that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. What's Paul saying? When I open my mouth, I need God to fill it so I have something to say. And you see, there are too many people who open their mouth and everything comes out but God. Amen? And sometimes preachers, look, the last thing we need at Full Gospel Center is a message from Pastor Rick. I'm dead serious. I don't, unless God fills my mouth, I don't have anything to tell you. You're probably not interested in the subjects I want to talk about. But I need God to fill my mouth. I'm, a, I'm acutely aware of that. Even as a teenager, I would spend time uh, with my notes, 20, 30 hours, praying, interceding, changing things, mixing, changing words, finding other scripts. Why? Because I knew if I got up there and talked, it would fall to the ground. But if I would preach the word of the Lord that he put in my mouth, it would come back and have effect and it would produce fruit and it would bring salvation and it always has. Paul's saying, pray that God will fill my mouth. Oh, Paul, come on. You're smart enough. You know theology. Just, just make something up. Just preach, you know, just, just get something out of the Bible and, you know, tell a few stories. He knew. God, unless you fill my mouth, I don't have anything to give these people. And so he's saying here, pray for those who preach the gospel. 
Pray that God will put words in the mouths of his leaders. We, ne- we need less people talking about their opinions or their own theological caveats or their, their own denominational things. We need people with the word of the Lord for the body of Christ today. Pray for those who have the word of God in their mouth that they would deliver it articulately and with boldness. There's only one way to preach the gospel with boldness. You know, if we're all timid about it, if we're all backwards about it, if we're apologizing for it, you know, Jesus died for you, for your sins. I don't mean to offend you or anything, but, you know, I'm a sinner too. You're probably better than me, but he died for you as well. I mean, is that, is that going to interest anybody? We need to preach with boldness. Hey, you know what? I was this, but now I'm that. I was hooked on drugs, but then I got set free. I was headed for jail, but now I have a purpose in my life. This is what God did for me. This is how God restored my life and restored my relationships. Hello? That's what the world needs to hear. Now, we, we have a group that you might feel comfortable with. and God help us. But preachers who are bold and insightful, they're a gift to the body of Christ. Preachers who share things in a way that's creative, they're a gift to the body of Christ. I think about Ravi Zacharias and the way he, he rightly divided the word and shared things in, from an intellectual standpoint that just have led thousands and thousands to Christ before he went home to be with the Lord. I think of Greg Laurie, who ever since I was a young person was preaching the gospel even in, you know, in the evangelical circles and he was doing crusades and people would get saved. I got a little clip of Greg Laurie. I want you to listen to the way this guy, take away at the way he looks, the way he talks, and the way he shares and realize that preachers who are articulate and bold, they're a gift to the body of Christ. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to do crazy stuff with fire. I was sort of like a junior pyromaniac. I would take those little green army men, you know, the ones I'm talking about, and they would be in little fixed positions like the rifle guy or whatever, the guy with the binoculars, right? So I would take the rifle guy, set the tip of his rifle on fire, and it would start melting, melting. One day I was burning army men on top of newspaper, and the newspaper caught fire. Now I have burning paper with melting plastic. I run over and put it into a trash can made out of bamboo. It catches on fire. What a mess. Fortunately, I was able to put it out. But the Bible asks this question, can a man take fire into his lap and not be burned? The answer is no. That's what sin is like. It'll burn you. So don't even start with it. Keep your distance from it. Listen, flee temptation and don't leave a forwarding address. Amen. It's good, right? Not what the world expects. You know, some bald-headed guy in a leather jacket talking about burning army men. I'm glad he shared that story. I'm not the only one. (laughs) But preachers who are bold and articulate and creative, they're a gift to the body of Christ. They're few and far between. Pray for them. Pray that God fills their mouth and gives them boldness. Amen. Pray for those who are advancing the gospel. Pray for missionaries who are on the foreign field. Amen. We got Charles out there. Are you praying for Charles? Amen. Three people. Praise God. Number four, we should be praying for those facing persecution. I'll close down with this this morning. There are Christians all over the world right now, whether we know it or not, that are facing persecution. Look what Paul says. I am what? An ambassador in chains. You know, and I mentioned this. Paul was under house arrest when he wrote a lot of these epistles. 
He was chained up. He had Roman guards, big, you know, Roman soldiers leading him around, watching him, keeping account of him. He was drugged in front of one leader to the next to kind of give an account for himself, and he would share the gospel. But Paul was preaching the gospel, and he was doing it from a place of persecution. Now, it's hard enough for us to do the will of God. It's exponentially harder for us to do God's will when we face persecution. Amen? In the West here, we're a bit disconnected from the worldwide persecution of Christians. But yeah, as I mentioned, it takes place every day. If you go on websites like the Voice of the Martyrs or some others that are out there, they'll tell you about the Christians that are imprisoned or in jail or scheduled for execution. Last year in 2020, uh, Voice of the Martyrs and some other groups compiled the fact that 340 million Christians worldwide were experiencing high levels of persecution. They were harassed, they were beat, some of them were raped, imprisoned. 4,761 that we know of were killed for their faith, almost 5,000 people killed for their faith. Now, to us, you know, in a world population, we might know, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not touching us, it's no big deal, but to God, it is a big deal. Martyrdom is a big deal. The death of his saints is a big deal. And God expects us to pray for those who are being persecuted. Statistics are on the rise in 2021. More people now than ever are facing persecution and are facing, uh, you know, imprisonment and all of these things just for being a Christian and wanting to do what the Bible says. And we're starting to feel the heat of persecution a little bit here in the West as this pandemic has allowed some government people with wrong intentions to overreach. In California, Pastor John MacArthur, a a well-known pastor, uh, a great theologian who pastors Grace Community Church, has been threatened with fines, arrest, and jail time if he doesn't shut down his church and stop preaching to his people. John MacArthur's response to this is basically the same as Peter's. We must, obey, we must obey God rather than man. Amen? The Bible says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, even so much as we see the day approaching. Amen? We need to be together. We need to hear the word of God. We need to preach the gospel. We can't shut our whole lives down and turn our back on God and his word over a a virus that's 99.8% survivable. The Bible says it's appointed once unto man to die, then the judgment. Too many Christians are living in fear and are not trusting God. You know, and I understand if you have legitimate health risks, if you're elderly, if you have, you know, serious comorbidities, you, you know, I get it. I've got people that are shut-ins, I call them, I preach them. But if you're young and you're healthy and you don't have disease, there's no reason to live in fear. John MacArthur, pastor in this church, was told by the governor that the church is non-essential. And the truth is, we've been told we're non-essential. And what we're doing here today is non-essential. John MacArthur's response on national TV was this. We feel like we're the most essential reality in the world today. Look, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the head of the church. Governor Newsom is not the head of the church. Mayor Eric Garcetti is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Amen. 
a little persecution. As a pastor, the last thing you want is to be arrested and, and be charged and be a felon. Hey, who's your pastor? He's a felon. But will we fall in line with man and the threats of man and the fear of man, or will we obey the word of God? In Alberta, Canada, just this week, Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church in Alberta, in Edmonton, he was fined and arrested and jailed this week because he refused to shut his church down. Now, they were following the rules. They were social distancing and wearing the masks. Now, what is it up to, three or four masks they're recommending now? Dead serious, Dr. Fauci, four masks now. So he refused, so they arrested him. Men with guns came, handcuffed him, and put him in a cage. That's what jail is. It's a cage. It's not in the West. And they told him, that you got to stop doing X, Y, and Z. And he said no. And they, some politicians got nervous because they knew how wrong this was, and they said, let him go. So they did let him go. But before they let him go, they said, you got to stop doing this. And he said no. And it reminded me of Peter. You, we warn you sternly not to preach in this name, Jesus. And Peter said, it's better for us to obey God than to obey man. Sometimes it's... You know, any way you slice it, it's persecution. I know it's just a little bit here in the West. It's, it doesn't even seem like much. But our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in China and in India and in North Africa, they're facing hotter persecution than we've ever seen. Do you know the place where Christians are persecuted the most is in North Korea? North Korea will execute you for naming the name of Christ. Are we praying for them? Are we just praying, oh, God, bless me and mine and make me comfortable, and I pray that there's toilet paper at Walmart? And <laughs> Are we getting out of that bubble and praying for our brothers and sisters who are really facing persecution? Amen. <clears throat> who knows? I might wind up in jail. I'll just start a jail ministry. Amen. Come visit me. Well, we're called to pray. It's part of who we are as Christians. We need to pray for all the body of Christ. We need to be concerned about our brothers and sisters. Pray for those who are in leadership. I hope I make it to your prayer list. I need your prayers. Pray for those who preach the gospel. Pray for missionaries. Pray for those facing persecution. It's part of how we conduct ourselves as Christians in a way that pleases the Lord. We've got to stop with all the distractions and get in the place of prayer and begin to pray so that the body of Christ will shine in the darkness because it's getting dark out there. But you know what? Greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. Amen. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you today for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for everyone within the sound of my voice. Father, help us to love one another, to care for each other, to care not just for our own needs and our own comforts, but to really stop and to listen to our brothers and sisters, to pray for one another, to have those prayer lists that just are ever-increasing Father, that we would storm the gates of heaven with our petitions for our brothers and sisters, for leaders, for the lost, for missionaries, for the persecuted, that we would have our Father's heart for the nations. 
I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.